Welcome, welcome to a very, very special crossover episode of the Simply King Podcast and Everything Must Go. Yo, yo. <laughs> <laughs> Starting <Stevie> here. <laughs> what a way to start. <laughs> what a way to start. But no, no. I am Rodney Perry, also known as King of the Simply King Podcast. Thank you for being here. Yes. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for um, making this happen. It wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anywho, anywho. Um, but this is a special episode, so it means there's a mixture of listeners right now. So if you haven't heard of me and you're coming by way of the Everything Must Go podcast, I am Rodney Perry. You can go and find me everywhere podcasts are available except for Spotify. I'm still working on that. Um, but Simply King Podcast everywhere, and you can follow me at Simply King Pod on IG, and just keep the conversation going. Appreciate y'all. What about y'all though? Hey, I'm Brandon, and uh, I am one of the hosts of the Everything Must Go podcast, along here with Stephen. And uh, yeah, I'm right, really guys. pumped for this episode to go. So you can uh, you can give all the pub. Steve on our, oh, on our I, podcast. I got you covered on the pub here. So with Everything Must Go podcast, you can find us on Instagram at EMG Pod. Same thing goes for Twitter. You can also send us an email uh, at emgpod at gmail.com. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the, the rest of our handles and stuff later. But my individual is at Stephen Russell B for my Twitter and Instagram. All right, let's do it. Let's get into it. So I wanted to bring a very touchy subject. The reason why it's touchy is because so many, you know, Twitter quotables say that, you know, the male masculinity is fragile. So I thought I have met two great upstanding white gentlemen. Why not have a conversation about something that no one ever really talks about anymore? And that's yeah. race. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. That's we're what we're, we're all about today. the touchy stuff. We're, we're all about it. We, everything must no, go. No, but yes, everything must go, and I, I love that. And so, I had to present an idea that I knew maybe may come with a little bit resistance, and I understand why. Mm-hmm. And I call it white men must go. Now, like I said, like I said to you guys off camera, uh, off camera and off mics, uh, that when I say white men must go. Not saying that we need to, you know, start a race war and be all extremely political. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that I see whiteness as an ideal. There are people who claim and identify as white people, and there are people in this world who happen to be white. <laughs> um, and that's not because of their own kind of like self-classification or identity. It's literally because everyone has designated them to be in a specific place because... That's what they believe them to be. This is what makes sense to them. Really can't think past that and add nuance to Americans these days. Because this is how it's been for hundreds of years. But, yeah. trigger warning to anyone who is listening. Do not turn down your headphones. You want to hear this. It's going to be a dope discussion. But, the first way, first thing that I want to you know, kind of bring into it before I kind of ask you guys some questions about mm-hmm. some things is... I would love for not only you guys, but everyone who's listening to check out a dope, 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 dope educator by the name of Joy DeGruy, Dr. Joy DeGruy, who speaks about these specific things. But she has written this book called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. And you would think that it's only kind of targeted towards uh, 
kind of like, I guess, black, a black audience. But this book has garnered so much attention because she also speaks on how this time in our country affected everyone involved. Um, to obviously, you know, to African-Americans, it essentially created this uh, this very long lasting kind of so like sociological and psych, you know, psychological kind of like effects that are still damaging them to this day. And you think, are they damaging the people who, quote unquote, were the slave masters? Quite so. You'll read in things like the Pedagogy of the Press where they talk about the dehumanization. Essentially, the reason why I bring that up is because there had to be this cognitive dissonance to be put into place for them to see this as a thing that they can continue to do. You'll read, the reason why I direct you to her readings is because she brings up all these different very well-known white individuals who wrote and wrote all these different essays and articles, essentially making sense of what they what they did. Essentially kind of Thomas Jefferson being one of the best examples where he was literally saying they stink, they're old, they're, they can work harder than everyone else, they can do this, they can do that, which directly contradicts his own involvement with, with African-Americans, him having several different children with him. Kind of, kind of, sounds kind of far stretched to think oh, that yeah. it's, that he thinks they they stink and they're ugly and all that. But it was it's kind of to make sense. It's we all have our own moral compasses, and I think a lot of those people back then had to see these people as not even people to be able to actually do this thing and keep this practice and this kind of industry going. So you have cognitive dissonance, the creation of whiteness and whiteness is an ideal, and a dehumanization of people, which creates where we are today. And we have people like, you know, Donald Trump and individuals who can't see past certain things. Wait, wait, they... wait. Are you not a Donald Trump fan? We're huge Donald Trump fans. Yeah, we're a <laughs> mis- misunderstanding here. <laughs> <laughs> we, we just lost all of his fans. <laughs> That's hilarious. Thanks, That's hilarious. But no. My first question, my first question is, let me go up. Let me Lay go, it on us, go, too. Like we, we want the tough questions here. That's what this oh, is yes, all about. Yes. Okay, so first question. Tell me what you guys really think. Do you believe that, do you believe that white men believe that they are also oppressed in today's society? Because there are certainly various groups who are literally, they're found, they're, the reason why they collect themselves together is to talk about how they are all equally oppressed. Steven, you want to go first? Sure. So my gut answer on this is that no, because I'm thinking in my head that oppressed and white people, like that seems like the opposite of what the question is. So mm-hmm. immediately I'm like, yeah, no. Um, I think it de- it kind of depends on how you, you consider to be oppressed. Mm-hmm. But there are people who are born with any number of issues that hold them back. For sure. Like they could be you could be born into poverty. For sure. You could be born with medical conditions. There are people on this planet who are going to be oppressed from one way or another because it's the world is not a fair place. So although in a lot of societal constructs white people are known to have the advantage or be like the 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 ones who are considered to be the ones that have the advantage I think that sometimes it's not necessarily a race issue as much as it is just like what are the circumstances in which you are placed and that some of that's that that's the perspective on some people that 
might think that they're oppressed because, well, I might be white, but look, I actually have a condition in which I can't walk. So how am I supposed to get these jobs? Like, easily another race could get this job because they're actually in able body to do it, and I mm-hmm. can't. And mm-hmm. I do think that it could be an instant where somebody might say, yeah, I'm a white person and I'm oppressed. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I didn't even think of it that way. Um, my thought process, my, my gut instinct also would, would be that white men do not believe that they are oppressed. And part of the reason I think that, I think you get certain circumstances. You know, we talked the other, uh, last week about the, the Harvard lawsuit and how there are certain situations where with things like affirmative action now, you get uh, a person like Abigail Fisher who wanted to sue the University of Texas because she thought that she was discriminated against for being white based on affirmative action because affirmative action gets people of minorities in, you know, uh, admitted to the school uh, at a, a higher rate or whatever than white people. That's where she was coming from. So in that case, you could say that some people believe that there's oppression in the quote unquote overcompensation. But I think part of the problem with the lack of understanding of the oppression of minorities is because white men in particular don't understand what it feels like to be oppressed. Mm. They haven't experienced that. So it's hard for them to empathize with someone that something that they've never gone through themselves. Mm. And that's where that's a big part of where I'm thinking. I think if if more white people did become oppressed, maybe they'd start to understand where minorities are coming from on some of this stuff. See, super good. See, for me, I asked that question. I put that down because it is extremely loaded because it is yes and no. To, in my, in my, from my perspective, because few to believe, I think the groups that have joined together to say that they are, they are the worst cheerleaders of it. Like it's the worst. Mm-hmm. I have that's examples of, you know, the alt right individuals, the Q Klux Klan individuals, uh, insults, so many different groups who believe they are directly affected by a thing. When it's like you are the worst examples of the uh, the best example of oppressed white individuals, the best example would be things like you said, you know, people who actually have disadvantages, because that is what separates. That's what truly, you know, separates us and keeps everyone kind of separated from a class perspective. Because mm-hmm. class is certainly something that people don't bring in often enough. Right. But that's the but that's yeah. the the key factor that essentially should have bound and made poor blacks and poor whites join together in the beginnings of this country. But they were essentially created, this whiteness and blackness was created to create this divide for us to see each other as different and to see a hierarchy within that. But I'm broke. You're broke. You're sleeping outside. I'm sleeping outside. But for some reason, we can't connect because... Mm -hmm. One thinks another, we both think something of each other. And I think the crazy thing. preconceived notion. It's a preconceived notion. And the crazy thing about that is that's where the oppression comes in and is so unknown, so unforeseen, so neglected. So it's like you have so many people who are in the heartlands of the world, these people who are like coal miners and all these different things, and people who, sadly to say, supported 
support our current president. Who West Virginia. It, it directly, <laughs> it directly undermines what they really need. Mm-hmm. And those individuals certainly are oppressed because they're used. They're literally right now being used by people who really don't care, by, by companies that really just want to kind of get the, the, get the energy, get the numbers, get the people, get, stay in power because they're getting, being empowered by individuals who believe in the systems that they put in place. But in actuality, they haven't done much to help these people other than from a ideological standpoint. Like, you've made me feel better about myself. Yep. You've made me now be a very proud individual, a proud American, because I'm supporting someone who is speaking directly to me. I loved Dave Chappelle talked about this. He, I, I saw a quote from him. He talked about, he's like, Trump isn't for poor people. He, he's yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, he's for me. Because I'm rich. Like I'm yeah, rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But that's exactly I think it. that's the brilliance. I mean, I don't want to call it brilliance, but the brilliance in his campaign strategy because he made all of these lower class people who felt like their voice wasn't heard, he, mm-hmm. he made them feel like he was for them, even though he absolutely is not. And uh, I I think you bring up a really awesome point about the the intertwining between socioeconomic class and how that that could be a big key in in inner in the, I guess, eradication of this separation between race, because, you know, poor people all have that in common. They're all poor and they're all struggling with that stuff. So why not, you know, bind together and, and try to you know, rise up in that sense. And we and, and I think that that could even translate even more into just, we're all fucking humans, you know? Like, that's a connection that we all have. We're all people living on this earth. Yeah. And, and, and I think you see it with so, it's so many discussions I always had within in the, like, the black community about, like, the black elite and the black wealth. People who have maybe started from the bottom and made it up to a great place. And we hope that they don't, quote unquote, sell us out. We hope that they don't forget where they come from. We hope that they don't do this and do that and do this and do that. Perfect example, Kanye. You know, an individual who has garnered so much wealth and so much of this and so much Mm -hmm. of that. He possibly could definitely change the lives of so many people if he just put forth that effort. We see the examples with somebody who has even less money than him, but very similar beginnings. Being Chance the Rapper. How many times this man gave a million dollars off to some specific organization for some specific cause? Mm-hmm. He's literally affecting people directly. And right. so it's like, that is genuinely what makes people understand and feel like... we. That, that's a, something that just has to change. It's something that has... I don't want to get on my soapbox about that part. <laughs> <laughs> but no, next question. That's a good point. <laughs> well, next, I would say, I guess, next talking point would be um, white men set the standards for almost all societal norms. Now, this is something that I think is hard for some people to grasp, especially when you talk to people, because it's, it's kind of like you think about, you know, people bring in just the, the thoughts of women and bringing all these different things. And some a lot of men genuinely do not believe that patriarchy is something that is like a thing. They right. really believe that it's like, well, no, because, you know, if patriarchy was a thing, then the Me Too movie would be a thing. Feminism would have never got that big. And none of these things, like, women can do this and people can do that. And how can you say this exists? Because they genuinely don't want to believe in those things. But patriarchy is, is not only proven, and these standards are set because of things such as white privilege and these different advantages. 
And I guess what I would love to know from you guys is, I guess, have you either met or have you seen things in your own? I guess better yet, best, best question would be is, have you ever seen white privilege in your own lives as specifically as white men? And I guess what is an example of it to you? Like what, what was that? Or what is the best example to you of white privilege, I guess? Um, I mean, I do see white privilege as definitely being a thing. I do think that on my, my day to day, there is an advantage to just like having white skin in this country because it is perceived as being, I don't know, a status Mm -hmm. thing almost like it, it, like a, like a race and status sometimes get associated. For sure. Um, I think it also just, if we're going to like take it even from my perspective on the, is it a privilege or like where, where do do I draw the line on this? Like, I think it it also kind of depends on sometimes the, the situation that you're in because you know, if someone is, dressed a certain way, someone's going to perceive them as a certain way. If someone conducts themselves a certain way, people are going to see them a certain way. And I know just based off of my experience, I even get treated differently sometimes. For sure. Like, I'll, I'll give you a prime example of something that actually happened to me recently. The other day, I was just wearing, like, a hoodie and just, like, hanging out outside of my office. And they wouldn't let me in the office because they didn't think that I worked there because I wasn't dressed up mm-hmm. to, like, go in to work that mm-hmm. day. And the guy was like, no, I'm not letting you in here. Mm-hmm. And like, I had to like beg to have him let me in there. Mm-hmm. And I thought for a second, I was like, this is a really interesting mm-hmm. context because I come in here every day and no one ever says anything. But because of this one specific context, I can't get into this office right now. And I felt like my privilege of being able to go in there every day was taken away from me for a second. Mm-hmm. And it had me thinking, what was the reason that he wouldn't let me in? Mm-hmm. Was it just I didn't fit the part? Of like how I went in that day, mm-hmm. did he think I like looked too young? Like what was his reasoning to not let me in? Mm-hmm. And I didn't flat out ask him the question, mm-hmm. but it was one of those instances where I do think that sometimes your privilege is dependent on the situation that you're in, and sometimes sometimes it's definitely race related, and then sometimes it's I don't know I don't know what I did in the situation, but mm-hmm. I would have loved to know the the whole story, like what was going on in this man's head. Yeah, that's where my head goes on mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I- well, to to kind of backtrack for situations where I, I you know, I've I've seen privilege. I think probably the easiest answer would be just, you know, interactions with police for me. Like if if I get pulled over, I know that I can act a certain way and probably get out of a ticket. Mm-hmm. That's and definitely I, true. I think honestly I play that up so I don't have to fucking pay a ticket you know what I mean yeah, I, mean, I, love, I, I get it yeah. I, I had to pay off a ticket just the other day I get the shit yeah. I get it and mine was a camera though which those are the worst yeah yeah. camera tickets well the the thing I I, I watched this TED talk in one of my classes and, and it, it made me think of a lot of situations where you know the the tendency for like people to get stopped by police to be searched. I don't know. I couldn't even count how many times my buddies were carrying around pot or something mm-hmm. and just got away with it because yeah. like yeah. no one checked them. No one, yeah. no one stopped to search them. Yeah. And so, and even if they did, they could like, I, like I play up getting out of a ticket. They have a better chance of playing up, you know, being white to get out of being in trouble or, or yeah. at least, yeah. The, the, um, 
consequences for their infraction don't get taken as seriously. In this TED Talk, this uh, woman talked about this 18-year-old boy who um, his uh, a buddy at school ended up uh, calling his, his mother a crack whore. Whoa. And he took the guy and slammed him into the snow. Now, I don't remember if the kid he slammed into the snow was white or not, but honestly, like stuff like that happened all the time in my high school with, in my, my high school was a predominantly white high school. The, the consequences for this situation, that kid ended up because he was 18, he ended up serving jail time. He's 18, so he can't pay bail. So he ended up being in jail for a while. And then he had court fees because he went to court for it. So then he was, you know, shackled by these court fees. I mean, I'm shackled by student loans. So I can't even imagine being at 18 having to pay these court fees, you know, with no job, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's where I, I definitely see a privilege is you can, you can really get away with stuff just by the color of your skin mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. that circumstance. In terms of your, your point about the societal norms thing, though, I do think that this is contextual. Because, like, hip-hop culture mm-hmm. is cool. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, African-American being so prevalent, African-Americans being so prevalent in hip-hop culture, like, everybody sees that as, oh, this is the dope shit to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think there's always a situation where the, the societal norms are set by white men. I do think that's the majority but I do think there are other times when, for for example, the hip hop culture, like that sets the norm on what's cool, you know. I I, I agree that yeah. certainly that, but also, how do you think it got to that point? How do it's I not think always it, been that way? What do you mean? How do I think I got to what point? How do you think that? I guess I guess hip hop or just hip hop culture in general got to a point to where it now is something that people see as cool and that people follow. You think that white men are the reason? I know they are. Okay, well, I just, I just want to hear why. Like, what, yeah, so yeah, what, I, what do you think? I'm so, interested in that. So, the reason why, it wouldn't even, it's not even because of white acts specifically. It's because okay. of white support. Some, okay. of the earliest, some of the earliest, earliest success stories of hip-hop artists became and rose to fame because of white support. And that's from every single major group that you've ever been a fan of, from Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang is heavily known within the UK as well as white, white, whites in America before, before anything else. They are the ones selling out these shows. They are the ones doing all these things. Why? They got it. Coachella... The main acts in Coachella were Beyonce, Bruno, uh, Miguel, Cardi B, several different very mainstream black acts, right? And a, de- and a slew of hip-hop artists, right? In these festivals, look at Lollapalooza, for instance. Who supports these things? Who are the people who are always there? You look at the Roots fan base who've spoken about it. Questlove has done a million interviews on it. You can look at De La Soul. You look at a tribe called Quest. These are very classic groups. And then you look at today right now, where we're talking about people like 
the Migos and all these different individuals. It's not saying that they don't have a black audience. Black audience doesn't have not only the finances, but the literal economic power to set them apart and make them global names. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I agree. And so I agree with the reason that. why I say they set the standard is just now, just now, Neil, I think it was Nielsen and um, the board of um, the Hall of, Rock, uh, Hall of like Music of Rock and Roll or something like that have just now said that hip hop is now the main most important genre, more leading genre right now in music. Just mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. My life, I never seen anything else. That's all I knew. I knew that. Like I knew I seen the 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 kind of the collaborations and all these different things and Britney Spears going to do a song with, you know, with this person and, you know, Christina Aguilera going to do a song with like Ja Rule or somebody and and like all these kind of like cool little mixtures and you still see it to this day you see a lot of acts go and kind of get a little bit of hip-hop and now it's kind of a standard thing to do it's literally the standard now is that pop and hip-hop are now synonymous and this is the first time it's been that way ever where it's like these things don't like the migos won for best pop group at the american music awards that is not because of black voters that's not because of you know, the black presence and the black support they got. And that's what I mean by they still set the stand because it's we've all my life. That's what it's always been because yeah. that's how it's always been. We've always dressed the same way as rappers. We've always emulated, you know, the Jay-Z's and the Biggie's and the Diddy's of the world. We've always been that way because that's just the culture. And now streetwear is now a thing that everyone gets into now everyone understands this now everyone has this now there literally are like millions of brands and millions of influencers who come from all walks of life now why because it's a global situation that everyone has now pushed out and pushed see and you see that thing going i i definitely see your point part part of the reason why i i looked at it the way that i did is i'm coming from the lent like i'm a musician myself yeah and so I look at the lens of these are incredible creators. Yeah. I mean, some of them <laughs> in my <laughs> opinion. <laughs> no, and, no, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you brought up how, you know, it, it's, you know, a majority of white people that, you know, might have the capability to buy records or to, to sell out show or go to shows yeah. and stuff. And so in that case, a hundred percent, you're right. Like they're, they're setting the norm, but I'm also, I'm also saying that I don't want to take away the, like the um, importance of what these artists are creating. Oh like no, I, they're doing great work. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that still has a role in the setting of the societal norm. And but I also do see what you're saying because you look at people like Jake Paul, uh, Logan Paul, these like big time you know YouTubers. Who? What's their fan base? It's like ten year old girls, and it's because ten year old girls say to their mommy and daddy, Hey, can you, can you buy me tickets to these shows? And so these people are the big people yeah, because yeah. their, their demographic is paying for, I mean, their demographic is setting the standard for what's popular. And it's, it's taken away from something that maybe, you know, you might've always, you know, for, for hip hop, you might've always been like, yeah, this is the shit. Like, this well, is what I grew there's up a, with. There's like a bigger point in this. I mean, Ultimately, kind of as you talked about, this isn't necessarily talking about like actual white people. It's sort of like the people of privilege in general, and yeah, the people who sure. the people who dictate 
what's popular and what's cool are going to be the people who have the power, and the people with the power are the ones that usually have money, and the people that have money throughout our society have a lot of times been the white people because they were the ones who were privileged, Mm -hmm. and then they paved the way for, like, their children. And so there is a definite advantage that's been built over time. For sure. So it does make sense that this is kind of, like, the way that it has happened up to this point. And you have to think, you're a musician, so you know music history. So it it's it saddens me to say that we know that you know so many pioneers of certain genres of music have came from all walks of life right, and have definitely. looked all different types of ways and yeah. some people who haven't been given essentially credit for creating either a certain sound a certain style a certain thing until this is just this is kind of like characterized on a specific group on a person that they wanted to be on, you know? I remember doing, um, I remember, like, reading up about, like, Big Mama Thornton, who literally is this pioneer of the the original sounds of what became rock and roll, you know? It started from that real, you know, real raspy blues, untrained voice, but she was standing up there with a guitar, literally hollering at a mic, you know? Came up with a song called You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog, but... No one knows her for this song. And because of, I believe it was two writers who wrote the song and who essentially had a connection with the manager of a person Elvis. by the name of Elvis Presley. Yeah, heard of him. Now we now let's get, put you on this. Let's do this. Okay, we need a look. We need a, we need a dance move. Oh, I seen these really dope moves from this guy named Chuck Berry. He's like an act, you know, who's doing the chitlin circuit. Why don't we give you these some of these moves? Let's put it all together. You're a great act. You got a good look. Let's make it happen. Hence why, as a proud Tennessean, never fucked with Elvis. Um, because it's like you more of a movie star than a damn performer to me. But that's 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 pop. Like that but, yeah. these people are performers. I have I lost once I started paying attention to actual music scene. I started losing a lot of respect for artists because I found out, holy shit, I had no idea that all of these people don't write their own music. They yeah, don't come up with their own image. It happens. And, and so, I think that's why that's why I think hip hop is so hip hop is something that truly will always be I think it's the only genre that we don't have to worry about quote unquote being whitewashed, I I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um because the beginnings of it and the foundation of it is something that's so rich and so true and so kind of connected to reality that it's hard to just snatch it and make it your own thing. You see what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. it comes with the style and it comes with a lifestyle. It comes with so many other things. So I feel like there always has to be a root. There always has to be a connection. You can't redefine something if you're emulating another thing. Like you, this is the source. We need, a, we need to keep pumping and getting our energy from the source of what the thing is. So I think hip hop is going to forever be people won't forget cuz as you see <laughs> with so many documentaries with the uh the mainstream things that came you know with hip hop being like the MC Hammers of the world the uh Sugar Hill gangs who came out with this specific sound that people thought this is what hip hop is when if you really know if you are really in those spaces that there this has been going on for 10 years before this even came out well, a lot of this stuff is based around the media, yeah. and I, I think a, a good sure. example of how we perceive things, since we're talking about the music industry and stuff like that, like just look at how the world is covered in general. 
the entire continent of Africa is usually forgotten about in like every world news event. Every so, like, no, it, it rarely ever gets talked about, it's which sad. is weird because if you look at it, I'm pretty sure Africa is the second largest continent on the planet, yet it never gets any of the media coverage. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if something really cool happened, like, in, in the continent of Africa, like, any in any of the countries, it's only going to be cool for a small region because it's not getting this, like, wide range mm-hmm. because it doesn't have the economic resources. It's just not as powerful in terms of, like, its widespread reach. Mm-hmm. And that's how, unfortunately, a lot of the things that end up becoming cool or like popular once again it all comes down to who has the power and who whose words are actually getting out there for people to know which is a lot of the reason why a lot of this information gets misunderstood and and the reason why to add to that point the reason why i say white men set the standards and that's a blanket statement obviously but set standards is because whoever controls and wins the quote-unquote war gets to tell the story of how it all went down and gets to tell the story of how it it's going to keep going down, exactly. you know? And I think from a societal standpoint, whoever is on top is going to always be the one to tell what the hell is going on yep. and how it needs to be perceived. And there is this thing that I've always lived and always understood about people is if you're a liar, you're very distrustful of people. So the best way to stay on top is to be very weary and to allow for no one else to pass you up. Hence why I think, you know, patriarchy and all these things are really major things. Now, moving on to my next part is that, you know, whiteness is something that you even see nowadays in the case with uh, in the whole Kavanaugh hearings and things like this. This being something that literally just opposed to a case. This this happens already. History literally repeated itself in that hearing because we already had this specific situation happen with a nominee of the Supreme Court being with Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. Now, whole different case, whole different time. It's crazy as hell that it happened in this way. It's almost like you would think it would have been in reverse in a way, you know? Um, But they essentially already had this. This man was a shoe-in, all that the same way, conservative, all that jazz. She came out. They went, they took, they heard her out. They did all this, but it was the worst optics in the world. If right. you listen to any of that shit, you could tell, like, damn, this really is the 90s. Like, <laughs> damn, people, was, we was really bad back then. And um, and so you hear all these things. And now so many people and so many, especially so many, like, black feminists believe that if anything's going to make this shake, anything's going to probably take, quote, unquote, this whole regime down. Because we see that this shit is flawed as hell. There's so much smoke in this damn room and everybody's acting like it's no fire. It's like they're, they're laying all this information on you. They've kept all this information from you all at once. They still don't want to answer certain questions. So we believe Christine Blasey Ford is going to be the person who brings these people down, for sure. She's a white woman. White women have been protected throughout history. Troy is a movie because of a white woman. This shit is going to happen, right? She's going to save America type shit. And it didn't happen. Why? Because this is what I, my theory is. Individuals who were in Charlottesville, individuals who were a part of all these different, you know, hate groups that kind of spawned up in the past, not even before Trump, in the past, you know, eight years, I believe it's an optics thing. It's optics. It's really, really hard to 
if you have a very low self-esteem and you're very low educated to what turn on the TV and then see, you know, LeBron James and, you know, uh, Kevin Hart being the top uh, comedian right now, mm-hmm. seeing Obama as your president, seeing hip hop as the main genre and your children are loving it. They want to go to the Migos concert. Your children want to go. And you've always had this complex against black people. So it's, and just people who aren't like you, people you don't understand, people who you probably have never even really met. So I have a theory that it created this sense of, well, we don't have control over the world anymore. Identity politics went crazy. And hence all these different groups coming about. And now it's a whole bunch of whistleblowing. Now it's a whole bunch of bullshit saying it. No, we're just really American and we're just really patriots and whatever, whatever. But no one's being honest with themselves. Really not. You know, and it's, I'm just trying to call it what it is. And it's, they are afraid that they are losing their spots and that the world is going to do what they have done to the world. So those evil people who have supported these evil things, because that's not, that's why I like said what I said in the beginning, because there are so many people who don't fit in that category, Mm -hmm. but you have so many white men who don't allow, who don't allow that separation. So it's like, they only get offended when somebody says something about like, well, you know, all white guys said that. It was like, hold on, like all of us aren't like that, whatever, whatever. And it's like, well, why, why do, you, why do you feel so, you know, quick strong to defend about it now? Yeah, yeah why yeah. do you feel so strong about it now? And why do you want to defend it now? That's why I say, identify yourself with what you culturally believe you to be. If you know what you are, you can even just call it something else because you don't want to lump yourself up with something that you genuinely don't identify with. You're not a rebel. You're not a, you don't believe in the Confederacy. You're literal, you go two, three generations back and you probably not even, your family's probably not even here, you know? Mm-hmm. And so why would you connect yourself to an American ideal that is literally used to separate the whole nation from each other? So it's like, that's, I think that's the, my goal with wanting to have this conversation with you guys and also continue the conversation on with more and more people. Cause it's kind of like, we have to make this distinction. These people who are doing these things, believing that people are taking their jobs and doing all these things and pushing out this rhetoric that really is hate and really is ignorant as hell. Because why? Half these people have never met a black individual, never met someone from from Mexico, have never met none of these people, but yet they have a million reasons why they don't like them. Have a million reasons why they can't stand them, and have a million reasons why they feel like they're interloping their lives yeah. and and affecting how they live. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I so I at one point I wanted to find out kind of from a person who was just outwardly racist, like mm-hmm. why do you think the way that you think? So I mean, he was. I think 70, 80 years old. You know, okay. I wasn't I wasn't going to change his mind or anything. Sure. I just wanted to know where he was coming from. So I was this like... This is a good segue too. So I was like, so why why do you, you know, why, why do you, what's your problem with African-Americans? And he was like, I just don't like them. And I was like, okay, but, but like, why? why? Like what, what's the actual origin? What's the reasoning? Did something happen to you when you were younger? He's like, no, you just, I just didn't like them. And... I remember this conversation. It was with a friend of mine's grandfather, 
and the the parents got kind of upset that I was having this conversation with him because it was getting him riled up. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm just trying to understand. Like, I just want to know where he's coming from. He doesn't really even have a reason. And then something that the the father said, um, he was the the son in law of this grandfather. He said, you know, he was talking about he he was an uh, I think he's like 50 percent Native American. Um, I don't remember, um, you know what tribe i guess he is part of but he he talked about how you know he's he works with a uh latin american person and they they give him shit for being latin american and he's like but it's not even a big deal that's just how it's always been and i think that that's where the ignorance a lot of times comes in it's like well it's not it's not actually a problem it's just how it's always been but that is a problem like it's been a problem for a long time which is a big reason why you have this up in arms like we need to change this stuff now part of that is also you don't want to overcompensate to where it's you know discrimination on the other end so i i when you were talking about how you know people are afraid that the world is going to turn upside down on them and everything that they've been doing is going to happen to them mm-hmm. like i under i can empathize with that I'm not agreeing with it, but I empathize with that understanding because you're worried of an overcompensation so much that now you'd think maybe that they would like the, the, the people in power would then empathize more with where minorities are coming from because they're afraid of it happening to them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but ultimately I think it's, it should be a desire for getting on an equal playing field and understanding that just because something's been a certain way for a long time doesn't make it okay. Like this is the part of evolving as humanity. It's the part of growing and developing yeah. as people. Yeah. Ronnie, I actually have a, a question for, for sure. you kind of, uh, Brandon and I had talked about this a little bit before we even had this call here today. So a little bit of background on me. I'm 75% Italian. I'm like the first generation that's not a hundred percent. So like, yeah. How was that? Uh, how's what? Like, is that is that cool? Uh, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's. Like, all you know I'm right. saying your family don't make that a thing. Is what I'm saying. No, no, no. It's not like a. It's it's just like whatever. It's, okay. It's just like I mean, my my mom's always like, oh, I'll find you a good Italian woman. Whatever. My, we get this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I guess my bigger <laughs> my bigger point here, the reason why I bring this up specifically is my family. Um, not so much me, but if we go back like my mom's generation and the generation before that, we kind of got discriminated against. For being like associated with the mafia and stuff like that, because or like that we were all gangsters. Of course. And uh, there was, I'll, I'll be fully transparent. There was some of that going on in my yeah, family. You do what you gotta do. In full you transparency. But the reason, gangbangers in my family. Yeah, But the reason, the reason why I bring this up specifically is mm-hmm. because although I, I am a white like Caucasian male, yeah, and that's how I will always be and always have been. Um, there are a lot of times where I get things thrown my way and it's supposed to just be like, okay, because I don't, I am not like a minority or anything. Gotcha. And people will just like, so people kind of feel like they have the right to just say whatever they want. Gotcha. And people might say like, we're shady gotcha. or any number of different gotcha. things. And I've always had this, this thought in my head of like, why is it okay that people feel like they can say whatever they want to me mm-hmm. just because I identify as white Although, like, my actual ethnicity is, like, kind of as we talked about, exactly. like, it is more specifically. I know exactly where my family came from. Mm-hmm. Um, do, how do you feel mm-hmm. 
um, like our country identifies people based on race and not like their ethnicity sometimes. And kind, kind of what is your thought on this? Because I, I, I kind of go back and forth and in my head, I'm just like, I don't really have any right to make like any of these like real strong distinctions, but I find it to be kind of weird. Well, to address what you, the feeling that you feel, cause that is something I want to say because you made me think about it mm-hmm. was that, um, that's the thing that we're seeing so much happening now. Not only is it kind of like an optics thing, but there's people actually have, now we've all grown and kind of gotten educated enough that we can now speak out on, we, there are buzzwords like patriarchy, white privilege, all these different things. So, so many white men specifically feel like they're attacked. Like they feeling like they actually, that's why so many people feel like they're oppressed. Now it's like, that's why you have, you literally have people on Twitter getting in arguments with people because they're saying things like, it seems like, you know, being a white man is really bad nowadays. Like, I can't even just say I'm a proud white man anymore. I'm just proud to be myself type of thing. And to say to you about that, the fucked up part about it and the way and the way that it's really kind of boils down is that this is a societal thing that everyone now has to realize. Yeah. And the fact that no matter is, it's not going to be like this always. It's not. Because you don't think so. I don't think so because it's it can shift if people understand the angst that people have. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like so many people can be like, I wasn't there. Why are you so upset with me? I wasn't a slave master. I wasn't whatever. whatever. But it's like so many people have to understand where the anger comes from and understand yeah. like where this angst really is like. It's really coming from a real deep place and a place that no one re- can't really be mad at anyone directly. But there's a, a, individuals who directly benefit from the, the past and present oppression of a specific group. So because there has been a totem pole, a pyramid, a, a caste system created, not by the, the poor people in the disenfranchised, but by people who want to be in power. And stay in power. People who have money and not at times have been white. They have to be the butt of some things. Doesn't make it right, but I do think those things can change. And I think they it can create conversations because I yeah. think you should not. I think if somebody comes at you with that energy, you can tell that they're not really in a place to really you know do whatever. Don't keep it pushing. You know exactly where this is coming from, and keep it moving. Because you know that this, you don't know me. You don't know who I am. And you can approach people in this way. But it's kind of like you still have to come with that knowledge. You can't just say, well, why are you guys so mad? I didn't do something. I didn't do whatever. It's like people don't want to not, people don't want to hear someone just not understand or not be aware of this history, of this world. Because that's what's been happening forever. It's like this, it's this very interesting, like, willful ignorance to certain things that annoys the hell out of people now because people are people are upset people are mad and it's like when it comes down to it it's like i'm upset i see you kind of like still living your life still happy and that genuinely makes people upset and i don't think that makes it right but also i don't think it's gonna last like that i don't think it's gonna be like that forever well this see i i might disagree with you here i I am nervous that it will last forever because since the history, we talked about this in the the Harvard episode as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if we'll ever eradicate ignorance. Honestly. Oh, no. Ignorance will be a thing. 
and and but that's what I'm. How how do you how do you get past this stage without getting rid of ignorance? I believe we genuinely have to chastise the very thing. One thing that's fucked up about America and racism is that the people in charge, a lot of people in charge in the world are literally being thrown that label. But these people have power. So they can not only say that they're not this, but right now we have a sitting president trying to redefine a gender. Literally trying to change what that means. Same thing in so many books within the South and all over the world. They're literally trying to redefine what slavery is, redefine what the Trail of Tears was, redefine all these specific things. So, to me, I believe that ignorance is going to be a trip for forever. I don't think right. that's something that you can eradicate. Somebody's going to not care to know or not have the access to know a certain thing. But to me, I believe there has to be this paradigm shift, which goes into my last point, which is I really don't think it's going to happen with people who are older than us. No. It's, it's kind of sad, but no, a lot sad. of people's grandparents <laughs> of all races and all ethnicities are going to stay in the dark with this one. They're too set in their ways. They don't see it. They can't see it. They don't care to see it. But we are growing up in a time... And the kids are younger than us. Like, imagine if you're eight years old right now, you never knew a white president until this year, until like the past few years. Good point. Yeah. So that automatically puts this shift into your head because the optics and seeing things certainly affects your development. If you grew up, that's why so many people in these places that are very diverse, it's hard for them to deal with the times that we're living in because they never had to sit there and, They've always kind of understood that there was a difference. They've kind of always understood that, you know, that their best friends come from a different place and have a different experience. But they also understand that, like, these are my friends. Like, I've we've related. We're like, this is my best man in my wedding. This is like my, like, mans, you know? So we know that this can exist. There's a, a millions of biracial children. We have all these things. People can, there's a melting pot, truly. All those things are can happen it's the energy that is trying to stop those things and the people who are ignorant that need to be chastised i genuinely believe that we got to call a spade a spade we got to because it's too often that we get on the news and people are called out for racism and called out for either either or having racial bias or it being racially insensitive because sometimes i think it is levels to it there's some people who you may not be a quote-unquote racist but you are you don't know enough or you haven't noticed enough or you haven't studied enough or you haven't been told or uh, been checked on a specific thing to even know what you're doing is very racially motivated. Like you just, you believe that you're coming with the right intention. We understand that, but this is why this is wrong. This is why this is offensive. And I think people have to not only be, be ready to accept that on all directions, even from, even from black people, we got to be able to understand that we can't press all these different racial, uh, kind of these racial epithets and all these racial connotations on other minorities as well as white people too. Because it's kind of like, but but I think it's a lot easier for us to do it because we are that oppressed group. 
So it's yeah. like, it's that whole, you know, we can say the N-word and you guys can't, and that's just what it is because you guys have this advantage. So it's like, that's that's just what it is when it comes to the advantage. When you have the advantage, there's certain things you can do, certain things we can. And that's okay. You're talking about Nutella, right? For the N-word? N- yes, Nutella. Nutella. <laughs> Oh and, shoot! I said it. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, but that's that's exactly so it. So I think you have to you have to you have to chastise those individuals. But no, I would love to know you know if you guys have any questions or anything to add when it comes to that. Like, do you guys believe that if a change is going to come, and I believe it can, just because of conversations like this that probably people couldn't even imagine happening, you know, sixty years ago, to you know the friends that you guys have made and the acquaintances that you guys have seen and the fact that, you know, people can come together and all listen to a, a song by future and relate <laughs> and just at least vibe out. I believe that millennials don't, we, we don't have to accept the, the old, we have the internet, we have resources. We know that shit was fucked up and we can now not only hold ourselves accountable, but hold everyone else who comes after us accountable to really eradicate not only hate, but to just grow love in general. I think one of the, the absolute like strongest points that you've made about how society is going to advance is that kid who only knew Obama yeah. as the president yeah. growing up. Because that is just such a good portrayal. Because I think when, uh, when I was born, I think it was Clinton had just uh, came into office. Okay. And I think about that perspective, how up until Obama was elected into office, it was like this crazy thought of, I remember my teacher saying, you know, maybe someday there will be an African-American mm-hmm. president. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, back then, when I had that thought in my head, I was like, ah, oh, that's crazy. We've never had one before. I want. But then, yeah. as I grew older, I learned like why that was the case, like yeah. learning the entire history and, and seeing it all play out. And things definitely change a lot when you're born into an environment and you didn't see all that stuff behind you. Yeah. Because that stuff that you, that you see when you grow up that's has like a, a real profound effect on you and has a real profound effect on on children growing up. So yeah, I do think that these kids who had Obama in office office and grew up with that are going to be super impacted going forward because they just mm-hmm. just saw a totally different world. It's like people who were born before and after September 11th, totally different world. They Very don't true. know what it's like to get on an airplane and just be able to like walk right onto that's it. That's real. Like things I, have just changed so much. I also wonder too with Trump being elected directly after Obama for those kids that grew up with that. I wonder if this is actually unintentionally going to be a positive thing because now it's more recognizable that there's a problem Yeah, because we didn't have that in the last eight years. And now we have this thing where we're we're trying to take steps back in time and in our, you know, growth as a society. And now it's actually like, wait a second, we we're noticing that this shit is wrong. Yeah, Whereas yeah. before it was always the norm. So it was like, you know, for even kids growing up before Obama was president, it was like if stuff like that happened, it wasn't talked about because that was the norm. Yeah. What so for the for the, what you were talking about with um, just these conversations and stuff, one of the things that the idea, you know, we talked in the beginning of this episode about talking about touchy subjects and you know a lot of people are really offended by the idea of political correctness mm-hmm. my thought process on this and one of my favorite comedians had a quote on this um bo burnham he said political correctness is an imperfect solution to a serious problem 
True. Like political correctness is a desire to be kind and empathetic to people. It's a desire to critically think is what I'm saying okay? Now, it's not perfect because, yes, sometimes we get a little jumpy at stuff and we need to be able to have conversations. But I think within just that paradigm you or looking through that lens, you see that there's a desire for evolution in how we speak with one another, how, how we decide to, you know, empathize and care about one another. And I think that that's super important for your uh, comment on chastising people who, you know, are of power and make these comments that are, you know, racist or just, uh, you know, discriminatory or just hold other people down. Do you think that it's, and this kind of ties into how do you think that like white people should handle their privilege? Do you think it's a response, a higher responsibility for white people to chastise other Hell white yeah. people of power. Okay. Hell yeah. And it's and it's always it should come the thing about it is we did not make this shit up. We I can I can send you guys links and send you guys literally the foundational things that literally created whiteness, blackness and every other separation. There's literally our old ass European dudes who got together and created what we now know as Caucasian, so on and so forth, and all these specific classifications, and started that whole thing that created a whole slew of bullshit mm. from eugenics to literally justifying not only the separation from a from a psychological level, from a biological level, a way to not only dehumanize and separate people, but to distinguish everyone to be different and for white people specifically to be better and quote unquote higher than everyone else they created the separation so because of that it's hard it's hard it, it makes it may it may, may not it may not make sense to a lot of people because it's kind of like we've analyzed it because we're coming from a standpoint that is we are the per people who are being affected the most by racism right yeah. but you didn't make you're not the one who made the mistake you but guys we were affected by mistakes. exactly so it's like you have to now listen to us. We're telling you what it is. We're not trying to tell you to make you feel like your life is terrible and for you to feel guilty because no one needs your guilt. No one needs those things. What is needed is, is if you are Ivanka Trump and your your father is Donald Trump, you need to tell him that he is trash. <laughs> because me doing it, it comes off a certain way. It comes off like I'm I'm militant uh, yeah. and I'm and I'm revolutionary and I just hate white men. I just hate white people. It's never gonna come off. Same thing like you said earlier, people coming at you. Like, you know, men, you know, women black men and, and probably, you know, women and things like that coming down hard on white men, it needs to be an internal issue. It needs right. to be an internal issue to the point to where I am tired of people talking to me as if I this is what I am and this is what I'm a part of because that's not who I am. That's not who I'm a part of. Something I do on my on my own podcast all the time is talk about the talk about black men in such a way where it's like we deal with these specific things, we deal with these specific issues, but we also are the cause for perpetuating specific things as well. And we have to not only address those things so that we aren't called trash all the time. We can't, yeah. we, because while we want to be called men, this whole men are trash movement, while we want to accept that if we don't see it as an internal issue, we have to see what we do. And then if I see 
my friend doing something that is terrible to someone else, I got to be able to call them out. You can't continue being friends with a person that you literally seeing show hate, seeing sure. them show ignorance. Like if they if they really your friend, you let them know. Like, hey, bro, I don't think you kind of approached that right. I don't think you know, but that's really offensive. Whatever, right. whatever. Because the fact of the matter is, they may not know, and also it's gonna affect them way more, and they're gonna listen way more if it's coming from you than me. So here's the thing, though. I agree with you. Like I I listened. On, I was I was watching the Breakfast Club. Uh, yeah. The episode. They always anytime they bring uh, like a white hip hop artist, like they brought Macklemore on, they always ask them, what are you doing for Black Lives Matter? Yeah. And and Macklemore said, you know, I think I have a huge responsibility in this movement because it's not, it's not, like white people are the ones that fucked up. We're the ones that need to make it right. Mm-hmm. And your point about earlier about how white men set the societal norms I'm wondering if it takes away it. So if we take on the responsibility of getting this right, does it take away from, from this? Like if we were to evolve, because it had to take us making it right rather than being able yeah. to listen to minorities. That's like what I'm an saying? ironic thing. Yeah. It's fucked yeah. up. Yeah. But it's like the, the, if you made a mess, you have to be the one to clean up. Cause no one's going to know where the mess started. You see what okay. I'm saying? Right, and right, you right. have to be able you have to be able to see all the things and the sad part about it and the part that should frustrate you as a white as a white man in America I would be frustrated off the fact that people try to lump me up with some of the worst people in the world. <laughs> Damn right. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> From fucking dictators to bad presidents to just terrible ass people that people try to lump me up with. You know how I would feel if somebody was trying to compare me being southern and the motherfucking uh, What's his name? Uh, what's his name? Uh, that Confederate uh, Robert E. Lee. Do you know how pissed I would be if I was a white man and yeah. I, if I, let's say I favored him, I kind of looked like him when he was young or something, and somebody was trying to make that comparison, I'll be pissed. Yeah. Now you can't even be a, a a white man with a funny mustache and a little swoop in your hair like this <laughs> without somebody not labeling you as a Nazi. It's like you can't you can't have yeah. you know early baldness and shave your head and like certain tattoos without people maybe jumping to a conclusion on your affiliations to other organizations. <laughs> you can't have strong opinions on things because the world people have seen you be handed the world. And that's the struggle that so many people are having nowadays. So many people feel like, well damn, I can't have an opinion on nothing. Everyone says I can't do this. Like you have people like Jordan Peterson who, you know, and like he's pushing this whole ideal of, you know, freedom of speech and things like this and whatever, whatever. When the actuality is, is that you want to, you are upset because not only is the world changing, but you can't say any fucking thing anymore. It's offensive. And why do you, why does it matter that much that you have to be able to say offensive things? And on top of that, you can say whatever the hell you want. But you cannot expect people to just be cool with what you yeah, got to say. You got to deal with the consequences. Yeah. You got to deal with the consequences. So that, if you, yeah. it, it, I think that's just where where we are. And I think the fact of the matter is, if that thing is done in house as much as it's done outwardly mm-hmm. for sensationalism, because a lot of it's a lot of conversations can be televised and can be all over Twitter, but yet not move us nowhere. You well, know. 
I would be really curious to hear a female perspective of this because mm-hmm. you see a lot of it within the Me Too movement. Uh, like uh, the the same perspective can be taken taken in that landscape of yeah. you know men are the people that have been fucking up. So yes. shouldn't men fix it? But that's part of the problem where it's like men have been talking wi- to men wi- anyway. Women have been um, shunned for so long, you know, kept shut from being able to speak up. So now we need to be more open to hearing their thoughts. I'm wondering if there's a way that we can translate that into incorporate, like bolstering up minorities being able to say things like you've been able to say whatever you want without it seeming militant to people mm-hmm. like people just listening to what you have to say mm-hmm. without you having to you know tell a white friend you know this is how i feel and then they stand up for you and then all of a sudden people listen to it because yeah. it yeah. came from a white person rather than coming from you no i agree but the thing about it is where some of these people should get this knowledge and get the truth read read all of these things read the accounts of people who are speaking on these things that they've analyzed and have noticed and these and all these people aren't even always black there's a lot of white writers who have noticed racism in this country and have written about it have right. spoken about it and have seen it you know from accounts of uh i think his name accounts of john brown and all these different people who recognize the evils of America and the evils of the world in different places where oppression was very prevalent and whatever sorts of, you know, oppression tactics were being, you know, examined, people talked about that shit. You know, the reason why we know how terrible Columbus is because somebody wrote it down for us to yeah. visually read it <laughs> because they thought it was... The person who wrote it thought it was very regular and they thought it was going to be something that people came together and, like... We're very proud, would be very proud of one day. When actuality, this is now the reason why we don't need to have this motherfucker his own day. Other than the fact that he's never been over here. But it's it's interesting, yeah. though, because, like, uh, growing up in um, elementary school, we did a whole section on Christopher Columbus. You mm-hmm. know, some, all, some cool dude. Yeah. He's some this, cool, this good dude. Awesome yeah, guy. Uh, he discovered definitely. America. And then, and then... You know how often we talked about slavery? I, I don't even remember any conversations no, about that stuff. No, you don't. You don't. You, you don't. And the crazy thing about even with Christopher Columbus is very limited, too. You get a lot about the voyage. You yep. get a lot about the, the Santa Maria and all these different things. They never give us that much details about Christopher Columbus. Mm-hmm. No one has ever gotten a large lesson on Christopher Columbus. They might give you a whole lot of details about he was <laughs> he was sent by the Spanish to go over here. He met with them. He traded some corn, and he <laughs> eventually brought everybody else. That's <laughs> <laughs> such an oversimplified, funny. It's a very <laughs> like schoolhouse rock version of the, uh, history, right? And that's what it is. You got yeah, all yeah. of that, right? But. Because you can't talk about anything else. Why? Because he literally eradicated almost over 90% of a whole, like, fucking continent, damn it. You know? Of a specific racial group. Mm-hmm. Like, these are facts. You can look all this shit up. That's the fucked up part about it. That's why almost every single <laughs> South American country has some Spanish influence. Oh, yeah. They speak Latin languages. You know? In the Gulf. All these different places, our money has a S. Our money symbol has an S on it because of Spain. 
people don't think about those things. And shit's crazy. It goes deep. But the fact I thought it matters, was because of Superman. Shit. I thought it was Steven. But no. But no. I guess I guess we can I guess we can wrap up. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna but say no, final but thoughts. No. But yeah. Uh I, I guess I just wanna, you know, leave ask you guys one last question, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um is I guess have anything I said either surprised you or have you not heard it before? And do you feel confident that if something occurs that you'll be able to like speak towards it or at least do some research to figure out what you could say towards a person who you see really not doing what needs to be done now. Cause it's like, we all, I feel like if anything we got from this conversation is that we see that there is an issue yeah. that yeah. doesn't have to be because th- there genuinely is enough room for everyone. And yeah. it's always going to be better when we can all just be together and all just have fun. No one wants to have all this tension. No one wants to like, even for this topic to even quote unquote be a touchy subject or a triggering subject for some people or for them to get up in arms about certain things, or just for you to be surprised that there are literally millions of people who believe that I should not be in this world. How do y'all feel? Yeah, about so you feel y'all feel good about the conversation? Yeah, so I, I I'd like to to pry into this a little bit. Mm-hmm. I am one. I just want to say like I am super happy that we're having this conversation because if there if there's one thing that I like to do, it's attack every type of conversation from as many different angles as possible. So yep. sometimes I I will say things that will border on, it's not even necessarily like it's my view, but it's just like, here's a perspective that like I've heard someone okay. have before and I like to like pry into it because nothing in this world is black and white. Nope. Like that's not the world that we live in. It will never be the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be a bunch of gray areas um, within that. And what I say in this conversation is nothing has surprised me too too much but except for maybe the fact that like people can have these types of conversations and it doesn't have to escalate to some sort of anger like yeah there's passion behind it and like i think all three of us are very passionate on the fact of there is an issue here all three of us are passionate on the fact of there is not uh, a perfect solution to solve Mm -hmm. some of these issues going on but collectively if we all talk about it and we address it then we know okay so these are the problems now let's work towards solutions. I think mm-hmm. one of the best things I heard here today that I never really thought about too, too hard before was the fact that um, as a white American, if I really do want to like help solve some of the racism in this country, the best thing that I can do is do my own part to talk to my own like peer group, the, own, the, the people who maybe I identify with, um, to kind of push them to be more open-minded, to kind of get them to see that... Um, People tend to respect the people who they like feel like there's a commonality with. Like exactly. they're just that's always like a mutual yeah. respect thing. So I think as you as you said before, like if if Rodney was to speak up to someone versus if I was to speak up to someone, like it's going to garner a different reaction. Yep. And to keep that in mind, so if you're trying to uh, get a point across, like you got to start with the people who you most relate to, and then build upon it. Spread the word. Go out there. Don't if you see something like an injustice, like speak up. Do something about it. Don't just let it happen. And the more people that take that that mindset is the faster that we get to a more progressive world and the faster that we get towards these solutions in which we're trying to get to. Yeah. Yeah, I, that was kind of what I was going to say. Because the, the thing that I always thought about was, you know, I, I talked about, you know, I, I've talked to women just a, 
about um, specifically like, you know, I have three younger sisters. So, you know, I'm the oldest and I, you know, I want to protect my sisters. You know, that's just that bigger brother thing. So when this stuff happens with like the Me Too movement and stuff, my inclination is to just, is to stand up against this bullshit that's happening. But then you also have the backlash of, well, part of the problem is we have like this mansplaining. And, and so my caution has always been like, my inclination is to stand up, you know, for, you know, against the issues that are happening. But is that also part of the problem? That I'm the one who has to stand up and the people who are being afflicted by these wrongdoings aren't able to be heard when they stand up for themselves. But hearing from you encouraging, yeah, fucking stand up, like that, that is a responsibility that I should hold. I think that that eases my mind of feeling like that is the right, Yeah, you know, I'm a very moral compass driven person. And so, you know, a lot of people might think of some of these things as, oh, you're just overthinking it. But I, I push myself to critically think about this stuff. And that's where these conversations like are huge because they educate a situation where, you know, I'm ignorant. I, I might be ignorant of this thing and I need mm-hmm. to push myself not only to learn within myself, but then also like Steven is saying, I might have a peer group that is more inclined to listen to what I have to say than a person maybe they should be listening to, but aren't just because of the differences that they perceive. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that's been the biggest thing f- for me yeah. in this co- whole conversation. So. And, and I guess I can, you know, end with this is when people ask you, or when you even think to yourself, like, well, damn, you know, I, I you know, I got friends and I love, and I want to like do more. I want to help. I want to do whatever, whatever. Understand this. The reason why I say that you have to do that work in-house first is because the fact of the matter is, is that people do need to figure out a way to fix themselves and to fix Mm -hmm. certain things within themselves. Because within that you have, there's a whole lot of accountability being done. And that's why, you know, when it comes to people who, people who uh, may not understand like why certain individuals kind of like push certain push certain types of aid and certain help out like you know rich uh, say some rich woman from Chicago wants to help out some foundation or some woman on the south side with her family who's struggling or whatever whatever and she doesn't really want to take the help she shouldn't be offended by that she should see it as they want to figure it out on them on themselves and if anything ask them what they really need and ask them what they really want and she might say I don't need nothing from you and that's why I say it's always best to fix in-house first because we there's been so much history. There's been so much being done where we've allowed for, we assumed that someone's going to come and save you or someone's going to come and fix you. And I think that can be taken with every single thing. You should stand up. You should still do your, you know, your due diligence, but also don't interlope or get in the way of someone trying to fix their own issue too. So, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that has been, a very commonality within American history is that you've had black communities literally created that are thriving, that someone who doesn't like black people doesn't want to exist. So what do they do? They burn it down. They bankrupt them. They sabotage some type of way. You have women who are getting jobs, doing this, doing that. We're still going to keep you down. We're not going to pay you as much. 
We're not going to give you the same type of rights because we don't need you to be equal. We need to still create some type of divide. So what we must do is fix in-house, fix the mindsets of people who are just who are more like us than not. And also get out of the way for the people who are the leaders and speakers of these specific things. So stand up for the women, for women, because of your sister and women that you love and around you. But you're standing up to people who look just like you. You're not like standing up in front of to speak for. Yeah, you yeah. see what I'm saying? I think no, that's yeah. the that's the. Well, I wanted to say that just for anyone who was listening to make that distinction, because it's like still stand up, still be at rage, still be up in arms about things, but understand who your audience should be. It shouldn't be you speaking up and you now you're the person who's the the now the orator and the you know the professional opinion on the Me Too movement and rape culture and this that and the third. Doesn't make sense. You should not be that. You don't. That's not that's not where you should be. Mm-hmm. Women who've been through this should support the, each other because they should understand what they've been through. Victims should support victims. And we that's what true allyship is. Allyship isn't kind of upheaving the cause and like, let me give to some of this, you know, oppression or give me whatever, whatever. Put this on my back because the fact of the matter is some of that shit's mad annoying. It really is. No one, no one wants someone to feel because you never know where that place coming from. When it comes to like whiteness and blackness, you don't know if this is just a guilt thing. You don't know if I, you just came into knowledge of all these things and now you feel bad. And now you want to just do something. It's not where it should come from. You should want to come from a place of like I just want to resolve this. I want to. I want things to be better. I don't want things to be like this for you and indirectly now affect me too because I care. Because you really care and. You shouldn't want anyone else around you who looks just like you because you should. People should be able to proudly identify with what they identify with. It shouldn't be a thing, but it is. So we got to fix it. That's all. Damn right. Yeah. Cool. I guess we can do our uh, like kind of sign out here now. All right. Well, first off, I I, I know I've said this, but I wanted to just say, Rodney, thank you again for reaching out to us, for making this happen here today. Like, this has been one of those kind of conversations where I'll go to bed and I'll actually like, I'll think some more about oh, yeah, it and oh, yeah. I'll carry it with me everywhere I go. Yeah, and, uh, and use me as a resource. I, I I like to think of myself as a person who you can bring your dumbass questions to. Oh, 100%. Uh, I'm full of those. A, que- or, or, <laughs> or a conversation piece where it's like, I don't know how this situation is, but tell me what you think about it and I'll give you my, yeah. my honest opinion. Like, just let them know, you know. That that I wouldn't do that again. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't do that type stuff. And no, and absolutely nothing is off limits for me. I'm yeah. uh, I'm, I'm down to talk about basically anything. And mm-hmm. That's uh, I mean everything must go. Look at look at the name of our damn podcast. For God's sake, like everything must go. Speaking of everything must go. Every episode. <laughs> Speaking of everything must go. If you did like listening to us here today, we do release two to three podcasts every single week. You can find us at EMG Pod. That is our Twitter and our Instagram. You can also send us an email, uh, which is emgpod at gmail.com for any co- uh, comments or questions, or if you would like to be a spotlight, or if you want to be a, a, another perspective on one of our episodes, you can slide into our DMs. We're all about that shit, so uh, go ahead and do that. Always. You can also leave us a voicemail if you want to just voice an opinion of any kind. We play those on air sometimes. It's 513-427-EMG5. Uh, aside from that, anything you personally want to say, Brandon? No, thanks again for for doing this. I think, you know, 
I just I just loved this. I was looking forward to this conversation and this oh, yeah. this uh, show so much. So I'm really glad that we we got oh, it. We made dope. it a reality. Oh, it's dope. It's dope. It's dope. And um, for all all listening, if you don't know now, you know you can listen to the Simply King podcast everywhere. Podcasts are available except for Spotify. And um, you can follow me, uh, my personal page at Kings underscore Memoirs to get some cool content there, as well as my uh, podcast page. That being uh, the Simply King Pod. Keep the conversation going on Facebook at Simply King Podcast page. Like and follow and share and do all the things. Um, if you want to be, you know, if you want to be a part of the show, you can certainly slide in my DMs as well. Um, send me an email straight from the page, from the IG page, or straight from Facebook, or any little way that you need to reach me, hit me up. Um, my show is, uh, I essentially call it the, you know, the Soulfully Conscious Podcast from Humans Simply Being Humans. Conversations like this is very human conversation, so... Hope you guys really enjoyed that. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take it easy.